All right, starting off with a small update, um, just real quick. Like I said last week, um, Hallie is gone to Universal Studios and Disney World this week. I'm very jealous. She's been sending me all the pictures, um, including the castle. She did get me the Elder Wand, so shout out Hallie, and a Butterbeer t-shirt so far, so very excited about that. She's been sending me some Hufflepuff shirts, but I don't know, more and more lately, I've just been really getting into like, um, understated, aesthetically pleasing merchandise. I know a lot of people have been putting stuff like that on TikTok about, you know, like, you want an understated Akatar t-shirt. Well, I've got you covered. Stuff like that with people's Etsy shops. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she's been sending me some stuff, but it's got like huge emblems on it. And I'm just really not a fan of that kind of stuff much anymore. I like understated things. I like things that like you'd have to be a Harry Potter fan to know that that's Hufflepuff, you know? Um, I do have a shirt that has Hufflepuff written across it, but it looks like a university t-shirt, which I think is really cool. So stuff like that, I like, I don't really vibe with things that have the huge emblem on them, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, Hallie is gone this week, but as for me, I got to babysit, um, one of my best friends, little boys, my nephew, Oakley. Um, so that was fun. Uh, we had a blast. I have been wanting to babysit them for a while now, honestly, but her mom usually babysits and if her mom can't, then her sister does and they just have a really good backup system. And so, I've never really, like, asked, I guess, but I had a blast. Um, he played with his cars, and we watched Bluey, and I discovered what she's been talking about when she said that Bluey was made for the adults. And touche, you know, Cheeto needs to get to Steppen because she did not pass the vibe check. When she was being mean to Bingo, I was not a fan, so she needs to get, <laughs> get on somewhere. Um, but yeah, did get to do that, so that was fun. Um... I also got to binge Queen Charlotte, which was so much fun. I can't believe it's taken me this long to watch it. So if you've listened to this podcast for a while, then you'll know that I'm a huge Bridgerton fan, which BTW season three got announced today, the date. So that's exciting. Um, we're on that in just a little bit, but I've been not really wanting to watch Queen Charlotte because it didn't really have anything to do with the Bridgertons. And I've just kind of been avoiding it because I thought, well, I already know what the story's going to be because we know how they end up. There's not going to be another season. So once you watch it, it's done. I don't really have an interest in watching it. Well, I was watching something else and it previewed at the end of it. Because, you know, like if you finish a show or a movie on Netflix, it like shows the trailer of something else that you might like because you watched that. Well that popped up and it showed the actual trailer and I was like thoroughly interested so I watched it all in one day (laughs) um it was so so good um I really can't believe it's taken me this long to watch it but um I'm working my way through the Bridgerton series now and I'm almost done with them and honestly I think when I get done I'm gonna listen to the Queen Charlotte audiobook so we'll see how that goes. Um, so coming back to the new season of Bridgerton, I am of two emotions about this. So first emotion being, 
I'm very excited. I literally cannot wait. Mostly because I, while I am over the moon excited for pollen, I honestly, I'm just so ready because it means it's one season closer to whenever we're going to get Benedict. I'm really hoping he's season four. But I think there's also speculation that Eloise is going to be season four, which is fine. But I really cannot wait for Benedict and Sophie's season because I, that's been my favorite so far. And what I really want them to do is have him dancing with Sophie at a masquerade ball in this season. So then when we do the time jump to him actually meeting her in real life, it makes sense. Because if you've read the books, the first chapter has you know like they meet at a masquerade he doesn't know who she really is and then the next chapter is like a huge like time jump I think it's like two or three years so I think it would make sense for them to kind of tease him meeting her because then it would kind of clarify like oh he's next season you know so I think whenever it's time for his season I think we will get to see him and Sophie meet and that'll be our clue. Because you, if you've watched the show, then you know that they, they like to leave clues as to what season's going to, like, what character's going to be next. Um, so I think that would be our telltale sign. Um, but my other emotion about that is negative because they've been done filming for like a year now. And it's been two years since season two came out. And it's still not coming out until May, and they're splitting it into two parts. So part one comes out in May, and part two comes out in June. And I honestly hate when shows do that. I think it's so dumb, especially when it's coming out on Netflix. Like, just release the whole thing. What are you really getting out of it by not releasing the whole thing? Because, as for me, I'm someone who will wait till both parts are on to watch it given we didn't do that with Stranger Things but that's because I knew people would spoil the heck out of it and with Bridgerton I've already read the book so people won't really spoil it for me so I will be waiting till part two comes out before I watch it um I also did that with The Witcher I waited till part two of the new season came out before I watched the whole thing um I just think it's annoying when shows do that so I wish that they wouldn't um but it is what it is. Um, but I am very excited. It's annoying that it's so far out because they've been done with it for a long time. And why are we waiting till May to even release part one? So I'll take what I can get at this point. Uh, the other show that I watched this week, I binged it in a day as well. Um, I watched My Life with the Walter Boys and that was the cutest show. It's very like if you're fran- if you're fans of the summer I turn pretty, you're gonna like this show. Immediately when I started it, I was like, okay, so Cole is um give me a second. Alex is Jeremiah and Cole is Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. The other boy's name, Conrad. Good heavens. I knew it started with a C. Cole is definitely Conrad and Jeremiah is, um, Alex is definitely Jeremiah. Like, that just makes sense to me. And so immediately I was attracted to Cole, which is odd because I like Jeremiah better. (laughs) Um, but Cole had this thing going for him. And honestly, when he first appeared on the screen, that is exactly how I pictured Grayson Devereaux from brutal obsession (laughs) my parents are yelling in the background i apologize (laughs) my dad just yelled for me because he didn't know i was filming um 
But Cole reminded me of Grayson from Brutal Obsession. That's exactly how I pictured him. So I was immediately just in love with him. And I was just screaming at her the whole show. If she doesn't end up with him, I was going to just like punch her in the face. I'm still prepared to do so. Um, It ended on a cliffhanger. We all know it would. (laughs) But it was really good. I don't think I'll read the books because they seem a little like, like I think the books would be young, like too young adult for me. Um, which the summer I turned pretty really was, it wasn't my favorite thing cause it was very young adult, but I really loved it. And I binged it in a day. It was amazing. Um, 10 out of 10 recommend. If you like the summer I turned pretty, you will like my life with the Walter boys. Very cute. Uh, last thing on my list is I had book club this week. <laughs> so, um, if you don't know already, I am a member of three book clubs, Um, so the very first one I ever joined, we met this week, um, to kind of discuss this month's book and kind of the year in review and our hostess, I guess she's our hostess. She kind of leads it. Um, she always makes these really cool end of year gifts. Um, last year she did the little, little books in a clear ornament. I don't know if you've seen people do that on TikTok. Um, she made those for us last year. This year we got the little books again, um, but we got to make our own little like book stack. So we tied them with like thread and it had a little label on it that says 2023 book club. So that's really cool. And obviously it's the books that we read this year. Um, the thing with the book stack was we were able to put the books in order of our favorite to least favorite. So, this year was a really good set of books. Um, My favorite that we read this year was one I had actually already read, but I had recommended it to the group, which was The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And if you haven't already listened to our full recap of that on the podcast, be sure to do so if you've read the book. Um, But yeah, it was fun. We met at a little Italian restaurant downtown and discussed. We're still trying to come up with a name. I think we came up with one, but I don't want to say it because I don't know if we've decided on it yet. Um, but yeah, so I've met with two book clubs in the past two podcast episodes, but, um, without further ado, with all that said, let's get on into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Family Fiction with Hallie and Carmen. So, like I said, Hallie's not here this week, so you miss her little intro. Um, but um, she did give me her currently reading. So, like always, we start with her currently reading. And for mine, I always have an audiobook and a physical book going at the same time. And this week's audiobook is When He Was Wicked by Julia Quinn, which is the one, two, three, four, five, sixth book in the Bridgerton series. Um, so I've only got this one and two more left and I'll be done with the series aside from Queen Charlotte and there's some other little novellas that I want to read. Um, but honestly, and somebody please tell me, is there a book about Violet and how she met Edmund? Because I haven't found one, but I'm, I haven't searched for it. Somebody let me know if there is, because I would actually be really interested. I think they had a normal love story, but I, I would be so interested in reading her book. I think she's an interesting character in and of herself. I really loved her character development in Queen Charlotte. I just loved learning more about her. And I just think the actress is so stinking cute. And like, 
I would really like to know more about their story. So if anyone knows, let me know. Um, and then my physical book is, well, it's changed. When I wrote this, it was shut out by Avery Keelan. Um, but I actually finished that last night. Um, that is for book club number two. <laughs> um, and it was amazing, by the way, but that'll be in the wrap up. Um, my actual current physical book is In Five Years. And that is right by Rebecca. Let me, let me look her up here. That is by Rebecca Searle, Surly, S-E-R-L-E. Um, but it's a little quick read. It's 250 pages. Um, I just started it. I'm on like page 20, so not too far into it. But so far, so good. I'm really excited about it. Um, I kind of have been trying to look for some smaller books because I am only eight books away from my book goal. Technically... This is going to be very confusing when I do my wrap up, like end of the year. So whether the, the hard thing is, is on Goodreads, I'm eight books out from my good, from my Goodreads, 70 books in the year goal. The hard thing with that is I have read three beta reads this year and you can't log those on Goodreads because the book don't, doesn't exist yet, obviously. Um, so the problem with that is I can't log that I've read that beta read. So technically I'm only five books away from my goal. Um, so right now I've read 62 books out of 70 according to Goodreads, but technically I've read 65 because I've read three, three beta reads. One of the beta reads has come out since, but I want to reread it because obviously like a beta read is going to be different from the final copy. And so I feel weird counting it as being read when it was only the beta read. So I don't know. You guys tell me your opinion on that. Should I count it and then read it and then give another review? Because I know you can like with Goodreads, they've added the option where you can add dates. So if you reread a book, you can put in you can put the original date that you read it for the first time and you can add dates according to like when you reread it. Um, so yeah, you guys let me know your thoughts on that. That's my, that's probably what I'm going to do. But even so, that still leaves out two beta reads that haven't come out yet that, you know, won't count on Goodreads. So the end of the year goal is going to be really weird. But what I was saying was um, I'm reading in five years because it's only 250 pages it's going to be a quick read. I'm trying to just take bust through my goals. I, I, according to the books I have lined up to finish the, by the end of this year, I will make my goal even without the beta reads. So we'll just see. Um, Alyssa had posted one of the uh, book clubs I'm in, our hostess. Um, she had posted a poll asking if we were going to, asking, you know, are you going to meet your reading goals this year? And I put yes. And then I messaged her in all caps, even if my eyes bleed. And, um, you know, I'm holding true to that statement. I have rocketed off some books lately. So I'm going to get there. I have faith that I'm going to get there. We still have, you know, the days I have off for Christmas and New Year's. So, and weekends. So I think I can do it. I have faith. I know I can do it. Um, that being said, Hallie did send me her currently reading. So Hallie finished The Hunger Games. I'm so excited. Um, she's on Catching Fire by Suzanne Collins. This is the second book in the Hunger Games series, in case you are unaware. Um, this is my favorite book of the series, so I'm very excited to hear her thoughts on this. She has read the books before. 
but it's been a long time. I think she said she skipped Catching Fire. I'm not really sure. I know she hadn't seen the movie before we watched it. Um, we had a Hunger Games marathon recently, and it was the first time she had ever seen the second one. So I'm not sure if she's read all three books or not. She can give comment to that if she's listening and wants to let us know next week. Um, but yeah, I'm excited that she's on this one. This one's my favorite. So I'm interested to hear her thoughts. But without further ado, we'll get on into today's discussion. So if you can't tell by the title, um, this is going to be nonfiction books for fiction readers. And by this, I mean, these are the nonfiction books that I love and I would recommend to somebody who doesn't even read nonfiction. So if you are somebody that does not read nonfiction, you're strictly fiction. These are nonfiction books that I think even you would find interesting. And I, I have these recommendations because... I am not a nonfiction reader. I have to be really interested in the topic or the person that it's about to want to read a nonfiction book. And even then, there's been some that haven't been great, but there has been some that, like, if you're a fan of this person, you're going to love these books. Um, and I hope I can convince you to read them. So, the first book on my list is The Rural Diaries by Hilary Burton Morgan. If you don't know who this is, she played Peyton Sawyer on One Tree Hill, and she is married to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who is on The Walking Dead, and she also guest starred on The Walking Dead with him for a little bit. Um, her best friends, their best friends are um, Jensen and Daniil Ackles. So Daniil is best known for playing Rachel on One Tree Hill, and Jensen is best known for his role as Dean Winchester in Supernatural. Um, so maybe that helps you connect the dots a little bit. But um, this book, while Hilary Barton Morgan's hectic lifestyle as an actress in New York and Los Angeles gave her a comfortable life, it did not fulfill her spirituality or emotionally. After the birth of their first son, she and her husband, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the star of The Walking Dead, decided to make a major change. They bought a working farm in Rhinebeck, New York, and began a new chapter in their lives. The Rural Diaries chronicles her inspiring story of farm life, chopping wood, making dandelion wine, building chicken coops. Burton looks back at her transition from urban to country living, discovering how to manage a farm while raising her son and making friends with her new neighbors. She mixes charming stories of learning to raise alpacas and buying and revitalizing the town's beloved candy store, Samuel Sweet Shop, with raw observations on the ups and downs of marriage and her struggles with secondary infertility. Burton also includes delicious recipes that can be made with fresh ingredients at home, as well as some home renovation and gardening tips. Burton's charisma, wide-eyed attitude, and fortitude, both internal and physical, propels this moving story of transformation and self-discovery. The Rural Diaries honors the values and lifestyles of small-town America and offers inspiration for anyone longing to embark on their own unconventional journey. So, this is the first audio, audiobook, this is the first nonfiction book that I ever read that I was just like, Wow. I read that cover to cover. There's been, like I said, there's been some nonfiction books that I've been interested in the person, but I've not read fully cover to cover. Like I've skimmed bits and pieces. This is the first one that I was like hooked, hooked. Um, 
her storytelling ability is just amazing. She does have a second book out now, which I can't wait to read. It's on my TBR. It's actually one of the books I hope to have done by the end of this year. Um, I want to reread this book, honestly, and listen to the audiobook because it's her reading it. When I first read it, I did read the physical copy. And I think it's good either way you slice it. I would like to listen to the audiobook, but I think you could do it either way. Like the description mentioned it does have recipes in it so I think that's cool um but yeah it's just about her living in a farm in Rhinebeck I do want to go to Rhinebeck New York really badly now um I want to go see the sweet shop so some of the neighbors that they mentioned they mentioned like her getting along with neighbors some of the neighbors that she has include Paul Rudd and his wife and family and they help run the uh, sweet shop as well so I want to go so bad and like go in and see if they're working that day because they do like to work at the shop sometimes. Um, but yeah, she really like took part in this town. When they moved there, she dug in. She was invested in making this town better. And so there's a lot of stories of her like giving back to the town and helping with certain fundraisers and such. Um, and yeah, I just I, like she's a very inspiring person. After I read this book, I was just like, really hooked on her life story and I've been really like I've been a huge fan of One Tree Hill since I was in high school and everybody was watching it if you graduated before 26 2016 or before then you know the era was going around everybody was watching Gossip Girl One Tree Hill and Grey's Anatomy everybody was binging those shows um including me and when this book came out I was interested enough in her to want to read the book but now I'm like invested and so when the second book came out it was a quick buy for me um I think this is great for anybody who doesn't even like nonfiction because I think you're just gonna get hooked into the story because it almost reads like a fiction like some of the things she goes through you're just like this can't be somebody's real life and it is I mean it's hers it's her story she does tell about One Tree Hill a little bit, but she doesn't, like, focus on it too much. She kind of just tells her life story, and it, you know, the second half of the book pretty much does take place in her time in Rhinebeck, but I just think it's so inspiring to watch somebody who helped grow a town from the ground up, because they were sh kind of struggling when she moved there, and just to hear of somebody bouncing back after infertility issues and you know, raising a family and learning how to work a farm because she did not know how to work a farm before she started there, uh, started theirs. Um, I would be interested to see if you can visit her farm. I'm not quite sure if you can. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great book for anybody who doesn't even, if you don't like nonfiction, but you like her or Jeffrey D. Morgan, I would recommend picking it up. I think it's going to be worth your time. The next book on my list is The Next Chapter by Jana Kramer. Um, once again, another One Tree Hill star. Um, so Jana is best known to One Tree Hill fans as playing Alex Dupre on One Tree Hill. Um, Alex Dupre was a love-hate relationship for me, character-wise. I, when I rewatched the show, the beginning of Alex, I cannot stand. But her character growth, her arc is beautifully done. And she's very misunderstood character in the beginning. And knowing what you, like, what I know now, like, when I rewatch the show, you kind of appreciate her more in the beginning, but she's still annoying. <laughs> um, but I've been a fan of her since I watched One Tree Hill because I actually started listening to a lot of her music after One Tree Hill. Um, and she's just a very interesting person. 
I knew that she had come out with another book before with her husband at the time. Um, and I had never really read it, wasn't really interested. But when she came out with this book, something just made me really want to read this book. And I started seeing, you know, what it was about and snippets. And I got interested enough to want to read it. Um, so I'll give you the synopsis. The next chapter is Jana Kramer's intimate and moving account about setting her life back on the right path after her sudden divorce. Chronicling the year that follows, Jana relives personal stories of early traumas and past relationships. Sharing in her most honest memoir yet, topics dear to her heart and music, including hearing God, loving oneself, navigating setbacks, female friendships, grief, and motherhood. As she grapples with questions such as, am I doing this right? Is this the truest truth? Is there more to life than this? She finds and tells a story of freedom and redemption, relatable to anyone who has walked a road of change, heartbreak, or grief. Readers will be encouraged by the wisdom Jana finds in that distinct and critical transition from chaos to clarity, as she plants seeds for her future to begin the next chapter of her life. Personal and profound, the next chapter is about being truly alone for the first time and the road traveled from heartbreak, pain, and anger to forgiveness, confidence, and peace. Like I said, this book kind of sideswiped me. I didn't, I honestly hadn't read the full description before I listened to the audiobook. Um, and I'm gonna be honest, one of the main reasons I listened to the audiobook was because it was about five hours long and I knew it would be a quick read for my reading goal. I did not expect this book to be as good as it was. It kind of sideswiped me. You know, like I said, I was reading it to get to a reading goal, but it actually was amazing. Um, I did not read the synopsis before I read this book, so the religious aspect of it took me by surprise, and I enjoyed it. Um, so, like, Hallie and I are Christians, and so this book was something that I really like didn't think that would resonate with me but parts of it actually did so it's not all about her divorce you know parts of it is about healing from relationships toxic relationships um just negative things happening in life and I don't know this book just kind of got to me in a way that I didn't think it would um I think of her her words of wisdom and advice are just amazing coming from somebody that went through the things that she went through and, again, if you're not a nonfiction reader, this is such a quick nonfiction read. If you're a fan of her, I highly suggest, if you're looking for a book that's not going to be, you know, overly religious, throw it in your face, but it's going to provide, you know, some sense of support, I guess is the right word. Like, it wasn't throw it in your face. It was very subtly done, and it was done in a way that if you is someone that believes in this stuff, then you're going to really appreciate it. Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I just, it was an amazing book and I, I'm even more of a fan of hers now than I was before. Um, like I said, I've listened to a lot of her music, but just the things that she goes through, cause she tells about it from, you know, when her and her husband was still married all through the divorce and through her healing process after. And it's just an amazing listen. I loved listening to the audiobook because it is read by her. Um, 
so 10 out of 10 recommend if you're a fan of her one tree hill you gotta read this one the next one on my list is Beyond the Wand, The Magic and Mayhem of Growing Up a Wizard by Tom Felton. So obviously this is for all of my fellow Harry Potter fans. A clear reason as to why I picked this up is because it's Tom Felton literally telling you every detail about his time as Draco Malfoy. And it doesn't get any better than that, people. The thing I find with a lot of nonfiction books is it... If it's somebody, like like I said with Hillary, you know, she talked about One Tree Hill a little bit, but not, it wasn't the focus. Jana didn't really talk about One Tree Hill. Um, so the thing I find with audiobooks, or with nonfiction books, is when it is a person I'm interested in because of a TV show, they tend to not talk about the TV show a lot, or the movie, or whatever, because they don't want to be, you know, solely associated with that character. And this one was kind of a breath of fresh air because he was dedicated to talking about that character. And if you follow him on social media, you'll know that Tom Felton loves that he is known as Draco Malfoy. He thrives off of it. He wants to relive that. So when he wrote this book, I knew I wanted to get it so fast. Um, Especially because, you know, ever since, you know, Robbie Coltrane has passed, we lost Michael Gambon just recently. Um, you know, Alan Rickman passed and we've just lost a lot of Harry Potter co-stars and I think a book like this is good and it, it's coming out at a time when a lot of Potter fans are going to really need it. Um, cause he does tell stories about every single person. There's even some stories in there about Richard Harris. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Tom Felton's adolescence was anything but ordinary. His early rise to fame in beloved films like The Borrowers catapulted him into the limelight, but nothing could prepare him for what was to come after he landed the iconic role of the Draco Malfoy, the bleached blonde villain of the Harry Potter movies. For the next 10 years, he was at the center of a huge pop culture phenomenon, and yet, in between filming, he would go back to being a normal teenager trying to fit into a normal school. Speaking with great candor and his signature humor, Tom shares his experience growing up as part of the wizarding world while also trying to navigate the muggle world. He tells stories from his early days in the business, like his first acting gig where he was mistaken for fellow blonde child actor Macaulay Culkin, and his Harry Potter edition where, in a very Draco-like move, he fudged how well he knew the books the series was based on, not at all. He reflects on his experiences working with cinematic greats such as Alan Rickman, Sir Michael Gambon, Dame Maggie Smith, and Ralph Fiennes, including that awkward Voldemort hug. And perhaps most poignantly, he discusses the lasting relationships he made over that decade of filming, including with Emma Watson, who started out as a pesky nine-year-old whom he mocked for not knowing what a boom mic was, but who soon grew into one of his dearest friends. Then, of course, there are the highs and lows of fame and navigating life after such a momentous and life-changing experience. So, like the description tells you, he talks about all his time with these co-stars. He has a whole chapter dedicated to Emma Watson. I'm still not convinced they're not, like, meant to be, like, I'm pretty positive they're soulmates. Um, but 
he talks about his time with everybody and that includes like the actors that we lost and it was just a book that I needed at the time and I as a Harry Potter fan I can't get over how good this book was he literally tells you start to finish his entire Harry Potter career it does start out with him like talking about movies and stuff he acted in as a child but it does eventually get to his audition process his callback process his filming process, his time in between the films, he, and the description isn't lying, like, it's crazy, he would be on set as Draco, and then when they would not be filming, and he would have time off, he'd be with his friends in his hometown, and he didn't have paparazzi, he didn't have fans stalking him, he really, like, went under the radar in between films, um, I think he mentions that once it got to the later films where he became more prominent character, people started paying attention more, but he's not a bleach blonde in real life, so I guess people just didn't really notice him. Um, but he talks about his time with castmates, with co-stars, with people behind the scenes. He even talks about there's a couple times his grandfather plays a cameo in the first film, and... It's just incredible hearing behind the scenes things about these amazing, amazing actors. As a fan of Maggie Smith, I enjoyed getting to hear the stories about her, as well as Alan Rickman um, and Robbie Coltrane. Um, I fear that day Maggie Smith is not far from leaving us. She's the only professor left of the core professors. Obviously, we still have Professor Flitwick, um, but... I'll just be really sad when she goes because I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, but yeah, if you are a Potter fan, this is a clear read. I mean, this is there couldn't be a more obvious read. If you've read the Harry Potter books, you might as well read this book as well. Because he tells you everything you've ever wanted to know. And I suggest picking it up. Alright, the next one on my list is another Harry Potter castmate. Um, and that is The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting by Ivana Lynch. Ivana Lynch has long been viewed as a role model for people recovering from anorexia. As the story of her casting as Luna Glovegood in the Harry Potter films grew to almost mythic proportions, a tale of how she faced disordered eating as a young girl, found solace in a book, beloved book series, and several years later landed the part of her favorite character. But that is not the whole story. Even after recovery, there remains a conflict at the very core of her being, a bitter struggle between the familiar, anesthetizing pursuit of perfection and the desire to fully and fearlessly embrace her creativity. In her book, Ivana confronts all the complexities and contradictions with herself and reveals how she began to conquer her self-hate while facing her fear of leaving the neatness and safety of girlhood for the unpredictable journey of being a woman. Revealing a startlingly accomplished voice, Ivana delves into the very heart of a woman's relationship with her own body. Unwilling to let the darkness of her eating disorder eclipse her dreams, Ivana explores the pivotal moments and, and choices in her life that led her down the path of creativity. Taking the radar through her personal journey, she reveals how by channeling her fears of the messy, uncharted future into joyful, ambitious endeavors, she reaches toward acceptance of the wild, sensual, and unpredictable reality of womanhood. Honest, electrifying, and inspiring, this is a story of the tragedy and the glory of growing up, of mourning girlhood, and stepping into the unknown, and how the act of courage is the most liberating thing a woman can do. 
So, like I said, this is another Harry Potter co-star. So, Ivana is best known by Potter fans and most people <laughs> as her portrayal of Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films. Um, like the description said, this is a role that she honestly saved her life. And she says that too in the audio. I listened to the audiobook of this one as well. Highly recommend. It's her reading it. Um, she goes into a lot of her disorder and she talks about how she was a huge fan of the books. Um, and while dealing with a particularly like close call, Order of the Phoenix comes out in stores. She gets it and she's reading it and she finds safety and solitude in Luna. And the character truly saved her life because then, you know, years later, they did another open casting call for Luna Lovegood, like they did back then, which they still did that. <laughs> um, and she landed the part. And one of the deals of her keeping the part was she had to stay healthy. And so that was not a role that she was going to give up without a fight and having to stay healthy to keep that role honestly was a blessing because I don't think she would have stuck with it and I don't think she thinks she would have stuck with it if not for that role um again this is another must for Harry Potter fans she tells about her time on the set as well this one is a little bit more geared towards her life um but I still think very interesting she's a very interesting person I've heard interviews with her before, her and Bonnie Wright, who plays Jenny. They're both very environmentally conscious. They're very, um, not political, but like, um, Ivana is a vegan and I think Bonnie tries to be a tad bit vegetarian. I'm not sure if she is or not, but she's very like recycling conscious and, you know, earth conscious and so is Ivana. So they kind of both ride that same plane but um I've been really interested in Ivana's career for a while now because of everything she does with the veganism stuff I'm not vegan I'm not even vegetarian um not to offend anybody who is like that's you you know you do you I think it's pretty cool like reading all the stuff she talks about being vegan and stuff I think that's a cool thing I wish I had that discipline. I don't. <laughs> um, Chick I just like Chick-fil-A too much. I apologize. Um, but she goes into a lot of that stuff too. And I just think that kind of stuff's interesting. Obviously, you know, it was interesting enough for me to pick up the book. So if you are into any of those things that I just mentioned, definitely read Ivana's book. Um, it's a great read. If you just like books about like inspirational stories and people going through you know the dark to get to the light I think this is a book for you the next book on my list is from my favorite ever tv show character the actress who plays her um talking as fast as I can by Lauren Graham Lauren Graham is best known for playing Lorelai Gilmore on the Gilmore Girls. This is one of my all-time favorite shows. She is my favorite TV show character. I aspire to be her. She's amazing. And honestly, Lauren Graham and Lorelai Gilmore, not that different. Pretty sure she didn't even have to act. You know, she's one of those roles. Um, 
In this collection of personal essays, the beloved star of Gilmore Girls and Parenthood reveals stories about life, love, and working as a woman in Hollywood, along with the behind-the-scenes dispatches from the set of the new Gilmore Girls, where she plays the fast-talking Lorelai Gilmore once again. In talking as fast as I can, Lauren Graham hits pause for a moment and looks back on her life sharing laugh-out-loud stories about growing up, starting out as an actress, and years later sitting in her trailer on the parent headset and asking herself, did you, um, make it? She opens up about the challenges of being single in Hollywood. Strangers were worried about me. That's how long I was single. The time she was asked to audition her butt for a role and her experience being a judge on Project Runway. It's like I had a fashion-induced blackout. In What It Was Like, Part 1, Graham sits down for an epic Gilmore Girls marathon and reflects on being cast as the fast-talking Lorelai Gilmore. The essay, What It Was Like, Part 2, reveals how it felt to pick up the role again nine years later and what doing so has meant to her. Some more things you will learn about Lauren. She once tried to go vegan just to bond with Ellen DeGeneres. She's aware that meeting guys at award shows has its pitfalls. If you're meeting someone for the first time after three hours of hair, makeup, and styling, you've already set the bar too high. And she's a card-carrying REI shopper. My bungee, cords, my bungee cords now earn points. Including photos and excerpts from the diary, Graham kept during the filming of the recent Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, this book is like a cozy night in, catching up with your best friend, laughing and swapping stories, and of course, talking as fast as you can. So, this book, if you're a Gilmore Girls fan, you know you're already, like, searching this book. Um, like it says, she talks about her time on Gilmore Girls as Lorelai, which is some amazing facts that she drops. Um, one thing is their scripts were, like, twice as big as normal TV show scripts because of how fast they talk and, like, the witty repertoire, rep, or tay. If you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. Um... It does talk about her time on Parenthood, but it does mostly focus on Gilmore Girls, and it's just really interesting hearing more of her life story. I would like to go back and reread this book as the audiobook, since it is her reading it, and since then she has to come out with another one called Have I Told You This Already? And I'm not totally sure what it's about, but I think it might have some more Gilmore Girls stuff in it. Um, either way, I love her. I love Lauren Graham. I think she's amazing. Um, Lorelai Gilmore's amazing. Not much to say on this one. If you're a Gilmore Girls fan, go read it, for sure. If you're a Parenthood fan, go read it, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think the synopsis pretty much covered it. The next one on my list is actually a poetry book. Um, so this is Swimming Lessons by Lily Reinhardt. Most people will know Lily as her role as Betty on Riverdale. I gave up watching after season three, but I still love the actress. If you are interested, please go watch her speech. I think it's at Cosmo or Cover Girl. She gave a speech at some sort of women's convention, and it talks about body positivity, and it's an amazing speech. So go listen to that and then come and read this poetry book. If you don't like poetry, I don't read poetry at all, like not even a smidgen. I picked this up because I love her so much and it was not disappointing at all. 
um, just to give you the brief synopsis. Swimming Lessons explores the euphoric beginnings of young love, battling anxiety and depression in the face of fame, and the inevitable heartbreak that stems from passion. Relatable yet deeply intimate, provocative yet comforting, bite-sized yet profound, Lily's poems reflect her trademark honesty and unique perspective. Accompanied by striking and evocative illustrations, Swimming Lessons reveals the depths of the female experience and is the work of a storyteller who is coming into her own. So this poetry book, it deals with anxiety, it deals with depression, it deals with body positivity, it deals with love, it deals with heartbreak. Like anything you can go through as a woman, this poetry book deals with. So for our female audience out there, I highly recommend this book. It's poetry for non-poetry readers. So like I said, I don't read poetry. Half the time I can't get it. This is easy poetry. This is poetry that's like, it's not that deep. Like, <laughs> it's not that deep. Um, Like I said, listen to her speech. It's amazing. She's amazing. I've loved her content for years because she is very honest. She's very open about body positivity and her anxiety and her depression. And I just think she's an inspiration for all women. And there's a reason she was picked to make that speech. And I don't know. I just highly recommend doing this. Um, it's on, it does have an audio book, um, that she reads the poems. So I do want to go listen to those because there's some that are my favorites. Um, but yeah, even if you're not a poetry reader and you're, if you're a female, please go pick this up. Um, next book is When Nobody Was Watching, My Hard-Fought Journey to the Top of the Soccer World by Carly Lloyd. So, this one's going to be a little bit more niche. Obviously, I am a huge soccer fan. Um, I'm a huge fan of the U.S. women's national team. Have been since I was a kid. Um, and Carly Lloyd, you know, she took us all by storm. If you're a fan of the team, then you know what I'm talking about. She took us all by storm in the 2019 World Cup. And as soon as this book came out, I couldn't help but get it. I actually have a signed copy that I found at a secondhand bookstore. Um, and I had originally bought it and then found the signed copy at a secondhand bookstore. And so I got rid of my original copy and kept the signed. Um, but... From the celebrated star of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, an inspiring, uplifting, and candid memoir of how she got there. <clears throat> if a player trains when nobody is watching, she might be able to do superhuman things when the entire world is watching. Like scoring a hat trick in the first 16 minutes of a World Cup final and an eventual 5-2 victory over Japan. Or topping off that hat trick with an astonishingly... Hmm, this was crazy. An astonishing 50-yard strike from midfield, the greatest goal in U.S. soccer history. A shot so audacious that it's surprising to learn that Lloyd at, had actually practiced it for years with James Galanis on an empty field in New Jersey, far from any crowds, says Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated. In 2015, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team won its first FIFA championship in 16 years, culminating in an epic final game that electrified soccer fans around the world. It featured a gutsy, brilliant performance by team captain and midfielder Carly Lloyd, who made history that day, scoring a hat trick, three goals in one game during the first 16 minutes. But there was a time when Carly almost quit the sport. In 2003, she was struggling her soccer career at a crossroads. 
Then she found a trusted trainer, James Galanis, who saw in Carly a player with raw talent, skill, and a great dedication to the game. What Carly lacked were fitness, mental toughness, and character. Together they set to work, training day and night, fighting, grinding it out. Sorry, this reading is so bad. (laughs) No one worked harder than Carly, and no one believed in her more than James. Despite all the naysayers, the times she was benched, moments when her self-confidence took a nosedive, she succeeded in becoming one of the best players in the world. This candid reflection on a remarkable turnaround will take readers inside the women's national team and inside the head of an athlete who willed herself to perform at the highest levels of competition. So I misspoke earlier. It was not 2019. I'm sorry. 2015. I forget what year it is. Good heavens. This year's World Cup was trash. Anyways. Um, yeah. If you're a fan of the U.S. women's team, if you're a fan of soccer, if you're a fan of women's soccer read this book I think it's an incredible story she does tell of you know her life growing up what her family life was like what it was like playing soccer as a kid and basically how she got into the United States women's national team and I thought that was interesting because when I read this I had no idea what that process was like and so the pro learning the process if you don't know is very interesting um And just learning her process. And, like, she was on the team for years. And we never saw her play. And so, for her to make her World Cup debut. Not debut. But for us to finally notice her by her performing a hat trick in the first 16 minutes. Which is scoring three goals in a row. For those of you who don't know. Sorry, it's 8 o'clock at night and I'm filming this. Um, It's an amazing thing and it doesn't happen. So pretty incredible um and like it said she did score a goal from 50 yards out which is basically she basically scored it from half field and juked that keeper that was an incredible goal and I still remember watching that game I'll never forget watching that game it was amazing they blew him out of the water it was one of those games where like it was when everybody started getting into women's soccer and I don't think it's really that way anymore like I think it's calming back down which is sad but I remember like at the time everybody watched that game everybody I went to high school with watched that game and that was people who did not watch soccer because it was such a big hype and because of Carly Lloyd um and I just think it's incredible like learning her journey and everything she does to train now she is retired Um, but just learning like her training journey and everything is incredible. And if you're a fan of her or the team or the sport, read this one. Our last but not least pick is Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self by Manoush Zimarodi. So this is a book, if you are a fan of the Vampire Diaries, then you will know that Candace King and Kayla Yule... I'm not really sure how you say her last name, had a podcast called Directionally Challenged. Candace played Caroline, and Kayla played Vicky Donovan. Um, they had a podcast called Directionally Challenged, which was, like, a lifestyle podcast. They interviewed, you know, authors and therapists and just anybody who had any influence was interviewed on this podcast, and it was a great podcast. Um... One of the first few episodes I did um, was about this book, and it was with this author, and after she talked about everything, I immediately 
had to go out and buy this book. And it didn't disappoint. This one's a little bit more of a self-help book. Um, so my other books have been like biographies, memoirs. This one is a self-help book. Um, it's time to move doing nothing to the top of your to-do list. In 2015, Manoush Samarodi, host of WNYC's popular podcast and radio show, Note to Self, led tens of thousands of listeners through an experiment to help them unplug from their devices, get bored, jumpstart their creativity, and change their lives. Bored and Brilliant builds on that experiment to show us how to rethink our gadget use our gadget used to live better and smarter in this new digital ecosystem. That sentence doesn't make sense. Manoush explains the connection between boredom and original thinking, exploring how we can harness boredom's hidden benefits to become our most productive and creative selves without totally abandoning abandoning our gadgets in the process. Grounding the book in the neuroscience and cognitive psychology of mind wondering what our brains do when we're doing nothing at all, Manoush includes practical steps you can take to ease the nonstop busyness and enhance your ability to dream, wonder, and gain clarity in your work and life. The outcome is mind-blowing. Unplug and read on. So, this book, it's the only self-help book I have on this list. And the reason I am recommending it is because it is actually a very interesting read. And it talks about, like, let yourself have the little moments. You know, we all are guilty of taking our phones to the bathroom with us. And she talks about not doing that. Let yourself be bored. Because have you ever went to use the bathroom and you didn't have a electronic device and you've sat there and you've actually, like, brainstormed something or you've created your to-do list or you've thought of something that would be a cool gift idea, or you've had a great idea in general. This is what that book kind of covers. It talks about like, in our moments of boredom is when we become our most creative and productive selves. So without a phone, if you picture a day in your life, picture a weekend where you're at home, you have nothing to do, you have no place to go. Imagine you didn't have a phone, a TV, a smartwatch, a laptop, anything digital what would you do no books not even any books well I guess books can be included what would you do I mean me I would be reading all day (laughs) um but most people would maybe read maybe get some laundry done do some dishes spring cleaning vacuum dust you know strip and remake your bed flip your mattress whatever you know, needs to be done, you're going to be a very, very productive person. Now think about a day you have nothing to do, nowhere to go, and you've got your electronic devices. I know I, for one, am guilty. I mean, earlier in this podcast, I mentioned binge watching two shows in two different days. If I didn't have a TV, those would have been days I would have been very productive, but I wasn't because I had a TV. So this just kind of talks about like, Stuff like that, like how you can practice small habits. And she's not talking about spending a day, you know, no TV, no phone. She's talking about small things like not taking your phone to the bathroom. And there's some other stuff in there too. But she goes through small habits you can start implementing in your life to become more productive and to become your most creative self. I, for one, am an aspiring author. I would love to write a book one day. 
if I had no digital devices in my life other than a Word document, I would be so productive. That book would be written. (laughs) But electronics, like, distract us so much. And I'm not trying to get on my soapbox with this because, believe me, I am the last person to give advice on stepping away from your devices. But this book is really cool. And some of these things I have started implementing, I have actually implemented my life since I used, since I read the book. I try not to take my phone to the bathroom a lot. I try to let myself be, you know, in the shower with no music, you know, use the bathroom with no no TikTok to scroll through and just try to like brainstorm things. So I think there's little things that everyone can implement. If this sounds interesting at all to you, go pick it up. I have this on the recommendations because I think it's an easy read. It's an easy like self-help guide. It's not something you really have to like read. You can kind of just read the tips and tricks. You don't have to read cover to cover on this one. So easy one. But that is everything on my list. Next week we are going to be discussing our reading resolutions. So these are all the things reading goals we have for next year anything that we learned from this year and um I mean if you've looked on my bookstagram lately I did a things I learned from bookstagram this year so it's gonna be stuff like that um and yeah just our reading goals for next year and stuff like that but um I hope you guys enjoyed this week's solo podcast if you have any more nonfiction book recommendations you know, leave them in the comments down below. If you have any questions or comments about the books that I mentioned, leave them down below as well. Be sure to rate us five stars and follow. Our socials are linked below, both our personal socials and our show socials. My bookstagram is almost to a thousand, and when I get to a thousand, I'm going to be doing a 1k giveaway of some books I'm getting rid of, so help a sister out. Um, Other than that, I mean, I think that pretty much covers everything. Hallie will be back with us next week for reading resolutions. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.